This is a strategist episode 1036. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, long time since you sent me the link to the show. I was just like, what's going on? I was <laughs> up in that I was up in that spy balloon there hanging around for a couple of months and uh they just shot me down. We were trying so a new thing. They we, shot wanted me down. To, we wanted to try something out. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And and how did that go? Not well, well pretty, thank you. Yeah, no, pretty, I, I could tell. Yeah. I could tell by the silence of both of you that it did not go well. Uh, Carter, nice to see you. It seems like you have uh, you have aged. Uh, what's the opposite of gracefully? In oh, my quite time a bit, uh, significantly. Yes. Um, I am not looking good. I feel horrible. Um, yep. Thanks. Good. Thanks. Good to see you again as well. I was out skiing yesterday. Skied with my daughter. And uh, that's a mistake because she goes very fast and I am fucking exhausted today. Oh, good. I, I'm glad we haven't missed the beat uh, because the show is still terrible uh, at the beginning. So that's good. Uh, Corey, <laughs> do you want to add to the term? We kept that up yeah, for no, you. Yeah. We kept that up for you. I'm, I'm, glad, you I'm glad you kept it up. Um, Corey, uh, do you want to add to the terribleness? Uh, with the No, I'm just wondering how you're enjoying child ownership. How does it, yeah. How are you feeling about fatherhood? Um, I'm feeling, good, I'm feeling bad. great. Um, kids raise Fires themselves. Remorse. I have no idea where this child is. And uh, that's by design. So it's it's yeah, great. and no worries, pal. Because if there's crying in the background, it's not like we haven't been dealing with that with Stephen Carter during editing for ages. Oh, so that's it's good. okay. That's good. So, I, I also no like to see that Stephen is the butt of all jokes still. So that is good. We have anytime <laughs> we have any content that we just can't land, we just turn it on you, Stephen. Um, uh, it's pretty much refer normal, back yeah. to the aging yeah. poorly joke that I made. Yeah. Uh, as a as a life raft for myself. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's good to have you back, Zane. I'm starting to develop an ego, and uh, it's good to have that gone away. Thank you. We're going to waste no time, Stephen. We're going to waste no time, Corey. We're going to move it on. We're going to move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, Old White Men Fuck the Younger Generation. (laughs) That is right. A tale as old as... That's No, it's it's, it's a tale as old as... You don't like it? What did you expect? You're getting soft on me, Corey. Welcome back, Zen. Yeah, you are welcome. You are welcome. Carter, are we going to talk about it? Are we going to talk oh, about the resignation of, I, oh, of John that, Tory? I thought you were talking about something with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I will open it up to you, Carter, if you want. Okay. No, uh, let's talk I'm about in- I mean, I, I don't want to talk about necessarily what, what John Tory did or did not do, but I think there's so many political questions as it relates to resigning. And, and, and Carter, the one I want to start with is John Tory comes out, for those that have not caught up to this story, on a Friday um, evening, not even afternoon, comes out on a Friday evening, declares yep. that he has had an inappropriate relationship with the staffer, which is now uh, ended. He called it consensual. The staffer no longer works for his office as a political staffer, to be clear, a former political staffer. Uh, they decided to end it earlier this year, and he called it an error of judgment. He said, because of that, I'm stepping down as mayor. Shock to the system. Yep. But Carter, you know, one of the things we have seen over the last number of years, thanks to mainly, mainly perhaps to the Trump era, is that politicians can double down. Stephen Carter, you've been a fan of the double down. I'm not saying on this particular issue. Were you surprised that John Tory kind of took the, 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 the lane that he did? And I want to talk about that a bit. And then I want to talk about some of the what goes on before a big political decision or a life altering political decision. That's the heart of the conversation I want to have. But before we do that, let's talk about the specifics of Tory and the fact that he that he chose the resignation path versus the stick it out, double down, I made a mistake, keeping this fucking gig path. 
Well, I mean, I think that Trump showed us that just about anything is possible to survive. Um, but Tory didn't even try. You know, he he didn't wait the requisite two weeks after the story happened for him to be forced out of office. Instead, what he did is he he stood up in front of a microphone uh, and the press gallery at at uh, a very late hour. I think it was uh, eight thirty or so in um, in Toronto. In Toronto, yeah, and. Uh, and resigned, and that to me was was unexpected. I, I would have expected, you know, one of the pieces of advice Zane would be, uh, why don't we see how this lands? Why don't we see how mm. this plays before you actually uh, take a an action that is, you know, not reversible? And and that's what resignation is. It's is not reversible action. And, and let me add to a bit of context, as Carl, because because you make a good point around it landing it in this case was a toronto star article that i failed to mention but a toronto star article was was you know slowly catching steam it seemed like had multiple yeah. authors that were kind of uh constructing this piece uh and were putting this this story out Corey, just i'm, I'm on the basic metric of surprise and that's all i'm kind of asking mm-hmm. right now were you surprised you chose the lane of i'm leaving rather than i'm staying uh, I guess yes and no. Mm. Let's start with the obvious no. You don't need to look to Donald Trump for an example of a politician who held on during such scandals. Rob Ford, yeah, you know, in, in 2013, fair enough, <laughs> just barraged by scandals. They the council basically took over the mayor's powers and staff and gave them to the deputy mayor, and he still held on. He still held on because it's not actually that easy to get rid of a mayor if the mayor doesn't want to go. And let's face it, John Tory was not the train wreck that Rob Ford was in the last years of his life. So uh, on that certain level, I was surprised. But then when you think about that, that's perhaps the reason not to be that surprised because Mm. John Tory's entire brand had been stable and boring. And it's not as though... Let's put it this way. Rob Ford acting like a cat is kind of costed into his very existence. Yeah. Uh, but John Tory, the whole this idea was he was supposed to be this stable, boring fellow. So what perhaps made it less survivable in his case, even even curved for these times that we live in, is that it, it's what he was supposed to be. It's who he was supposed to be uh, and what he was supposed to not be uh, that, that was let down Car- by this particular Carter, story. I'm going to come to you in a second. Corey, this is interesting. You're using the term was. I find that interesting. What he was supposed to be was, uh, what did you say, boring, stable, right? Like the, like a, yeah. a cocktail of those words. What part of you thinks that there's a bit of strategy to say that this is who he is rather than who he was? And what I mean by that is like brand preservation. Like like I, maybe this guy's another chapter and in, in six months, him leaving rather than trying to fight it out and stay, even if he could have kept his job, still keeps that overall I shouldn't say brand untarnished, but less tarnished. Like what part of you strategically kind of looks at it from from that end, if at all? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, um, you know, another little bit of context here. He just, he rolled back into re-election. He was, oh, he, he won crushed. it in a romp. Yeah, and, and just a few Absolutely months ago. Crushed yeah, yeah, just a few months yeah, ago. Yeah, so very, very, po- I mean, popular might be a stretch, but certainly, uh, yeah, I guess we'll say popular, yeah. right? Yeah, certainly yeah. nobody thought that he anybody could take him on. Um, and so, yeah, maybe this is a ability to preserve his brand. Maybe, frankly, this is just a reflection that the brand was more than just more than just bullshit because he acted the way politicians were supposed to act in times of yore when they had massive errors mm-hmm. of judgment like this, right? And uh, you know, also let's be really clear: 
this is also uh, the the particular type of scandal is one that has become i think the public consciousness has become more attuned to in the last bit the power dynamics yeah. between yeah, sure. you know a 68 year old mayor who has all of this authority and a 31 year old political staffer that you know that's that's pretty gross on a lot of levels you know the last thing i want to throw on the table though is that he may have been running a strategy for different purposes too and one of them is trying to preserve kind of his family life, his home life, keeping the cameras out of his family, uh, keeping his marriage at least somewhat intact. Like there's a lot of things that go into a calculation like this beyond the political. And he just decided that um, this is the way you're supposed to act in this moment. Carter, Lots of reasons he might have done that. Talk to me about this. Brand preservation? Could it have entered the equation, whether it be brand preservation for the Tory brand or whether it be for the perspective of trying to make a a boomerang back to some semblance of public life because let's not forget John Tory has been in public life whether not as just yeah. mayor but like public life on the talk uh, radio airwaves and such talk to me about this brand that he might be trying to preserve and, and which could have perhaps uh, dictated the path that he eventually chose well, I think that he it, the only example that kind of pops into mind is Jim Prentice after he'd lost in 2015. You know, he went right back into the corporate world immediately. And the corporate world is a, you know, they certainly forgave Prentice the, the loss. Uh, I would imagine that John Tory is trying to think, will the corporate world uh, forgive me my, my, my dalliance? And I think that, uh, generally speaking, they will. Um, I think that he, if if he acts perfectly from the point of time that that this was discovered and moves forward, there's a, there's another act for John Tory returning to uh, the corporate boardrooms of Canada, and I, I would imagine that he he's quite used to that level of of uh, success and would want to hold on to it. So if you want to hold on to that, then he is acting exactly the right way. And Corey's also raised an interesting point that I think sometimes we take for granted and that his, mm. he may actually want something really old fashioned like his marriage to stay together. Um, you know, like it is yeah. one thing to be caught to be having yeah. an affair. <laughs> it is another thing entirely to have that affair splashed across the front pages of the Toronto star and other, another news national newspapers. Um, that is a different type of humiliation and I suspect that um, for him to save his marriage, it required immediate action. Uh, but I do think that both of those paths uh, are the same path, right? You you stick to – if you want to save your marriage, you get the hell out of office as soon as you can. If you want to be a corporate player, you get out of office and you make sure that you clean this up as best as best you possibly can. So I imagine that that's what he's doing. Let's get into the strategy here, Carter, because this is what I wanted to talk about, right? John Tory, just like many times on this show, is just, you know, I'm not going to use him transactionally, but he is a case that we are going to eventually, in this case, ultimately study for our purposes of a strategy discussion. The discussion I want to have is exactly the one you talked about, which is, is this mutually exclusive, Carter? Could John Tory, if he came to you and said, Carter, I fucked up, right? I really fucked up. You're his advisor, one of his principal advisors in, in that mayor's office. Carter, I fucked up. Uh, I'm known as this person. I want to be known as this person. I know I'm going to take a dent. There's going to be a bit of a dip, whether it, it, it comes out or not. But if brand preservation is is primary to me, or even yeah. family preservation, can I have my cake and eat it too, Carter? Can I still keep this job as mayor of Toronto? A job that, by the way, I've got a lot of fucking capital with. I, I won handedly. A lot of fucking people voted for me. 
can I still keep this gig, preserve my brand? Is it possible? Or is it, as you just said in your previous answer, mutually exclusive? That if you if you want corporate, if you want brand preservation, you got to get the fuck out of this gig. I think how would you court- how would you have answered the question that he would pose to you in that way or even try to solve it for him in that way is my my the heart of my question. I think that my first question to him would be was this going to be your last term yes or no. And if it wasn't going to be his last term then and he still has a political uh ambition then you could rewrite you know you could keep him in office and get him reelected in 3 years. I think that that would be possible. But I don't think you could get him reelected in three years and preserve his marriage and make him rehabilitate, you know, rehabilitate him for corporate life. It would be an all in on the political structure of you're going to be mayor uh, for another eight years. Um, We can do that for you. But what are your competing priorities? If your competing priorities are, I would like to stay married, then that's that's a really tough one to can to include. If it is, I would like my brand to be in place uh, for corporate gigs. Um, that's going to be tricky. But if the if the answer is we need to solely keep you in office for another mm-hmm. seven mm-hmm. years, eight years, then the answer is yes, we can do that without you having to step down. But your brand, the brand is going to be severely tarnished. The but severely tarnished brands win all the time. All the time. You, so, you mean you mean you mean actually win again all the time. Again. To be totally clear, not just stay in office, but can get reelected. Give me an example. Like uh, one doesn't come to mind, but uh, there's probably several. Well, I mean, in recent Justin memory. Trudeau has had his his good example. His, blackface, brownface, example. T minus ten days before the election in some ways. Right. No, that is the perfect example for an, another reason. I want to jump okay, well, in uh, here uh, is because get in that, court. Get in court. That was core to his brand, like inclusivity. Yes. Being this compassionate yes. individual, yes. this person who was alert to those kinds of challenges in in community and and the way that racism was pervasive and and that society needed to deal with these things systemically. Right. And then there's. Pictures of him in black. The first, like, EDI prime minister in many ways, right? Like, the yeah, guy supporting exactly. all of them. Yet, yeah. yet he got through it. Yet he got through it during during an election. Because so, you can get through it if you're... Because your supporters can can be convinced that this is part of your journey, right? This is part of your journey, and you've come out the other side mm. as a better person. Your supporters can be convinced of that. Now, we'll never, ever convince your detractors, but we don't need to convince your detractors. As we've mentioned, he won by a landslide. He was he was a, a relatively popular mayor in, in Toronto. This would have hurt him, um, but this is not career-ending in the political sense, um, and, and especially with a three-year build back. But he would have most likely lost his marriage. He would have most likely um, lost... Uh, the ability to re-enter the corporate boardrooms, uh, which you know may have been more important to him, um, because you have to balance off all of these competing interests. You don't just get to say, "Well, I'd like to have my cake and eat it too." To answer your question, which was, "Do you get to have oh, your you. cake and eat thank it you. too?" Um, uh, no, you Cor- don't. Corey, Corey Carter took uh, seven minutes for an answer to just rather than just saying yes. Uh, but that is the beauty of this podcast, Carter. Well, what, what uh, Corey, oh my God, you've been off of it for your, so long. You don't. You've reacted to Carter. If Carter was in that room, Carter was on that call, how would you have reacted to him if the mayor's question was, can I do both, guys? Can I preserve brand, 
you know, still keep my head above water uh, on my personal life and still be mayor of the city. And we'll get to the fact that he wants to be mayor for a couple more days, by the way, which I think is hilarious. Just yeah. we'll get to all that stuff and, and, and the scuttlebutt and, and, and who becomes mayor next and strategy behind that. But on this, Corey, if you were on that call and that was the question posed to you, what would you have responded with? Yeah, you know, I, it's an interesting question. I think that you almost have to step back and put yourself in his spot at that moment. Toronto Star has this. Yes. There's going to be a story. You actually don't know the story. We don't know if this is the only story, mm-hmm. I will just say, right? Like, this is this is one instance. Are there others? Fuck me. I don't know. But, like, if there was one, it makes you think that it's possible it could have occurred at other times, too. And so sometimes you will see politicians almost um, – Overreact sounds like a funny thing to say, but, you know, they will react assuming the worst version of the story Mm. is coming, right? Or that it could be coming at any time. And then sometimes when it doesn't, they start to say, well, maybe I didn't need to do that. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of doubt there. But let's just say that everything we know is kind of the sum of it. There's there's not any other shoe to drop. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. That's a big assumption in the whole conversation. I agree. It is a big assumption. It is. But I think that there is a path forward in that scenario. You do. But it only works if this was like a absolute, I mean, we know it wasn't one time, one time, but if this was a a singular, (laughs) yes, a singular, a singular affair. Yeah. Well, let's put it that way. Yeah. Right. Then I think, um, again, thinking about his brand, thinking about all of those things, he, he steps up and he says, this was two errors in judgment. The first error in judgment was the act and the second was trying to conceal it. And I, uh, I am deeply sorry to the people of Toronto for both. I um, I believe, you know, that, you know, this was consensual. I'm under, I'm aware of the power dynamics. I'm aware of blah, 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 all of this. I am taking a leave of absence, power being invested in the deputy mayor uh-huh. until such a time as the ethics commissioner mm. report on this. And I think that's step one. Right. Because um, it is not just about whether we think it's gross. There will be questions about propriety on a more fundamental legal sense that you need to jump over. You need to cross the hurdle on. And so if you can get past that, then I think that there's there's a way forward. Right. But you could almost make it as though, once again, this is how you would have wanted Doug Ford to act. Or, or sorry, Rob Ford to act. All these Fords, they they're, blur together. Yeah, they're everywhere, right? like weeds. And so the point being, Zane, that you're not, um, it's not that you're ignoring it. You are still presenting a point of contrast with Rob Ford, yeah, who is sure. the point of contrast here. You are acting in a more ethical, upright, honest fashion, but you're not going so far as resignation. Yeah, you, So you still got that contrast, but you're just not going as far. So maybe possible, but it, it really requires no other shoes to do. Yeah, and, and a tightrope to walk. Carter, can I ask you this? This is a big career-altering, career-ending conversation that, that, that John Tory must have had. Can you can you give me an, an, some insight, like in the broadest sense, around how politicians have these big conversations? Like who is possible? And when, I, I don't want to speculate about his situation, but I want to expand it more broadly. When these big decisions are made, are they made with a tight group, the broadest group uh, of, of your key advisors? What have you seen in the past? Like, is it a one person conversation? How are other people brought into the fold? Are they just told when they see it on? Just walk me through some of these mechanics that I'm personally curious about, that I suspect listeners are curious about from from what you've seen. You don't have to name names. You don't have to name scenarios or situations. But talk to me about how you have seen these conversations and these decision trees ultimately unfold behind the curtain. 
it, it's never big. So I've never seen any, you know, big gathering that's pulled together with, uh, you know, eight or six or whatever the numbers are. Um, it's, it's huge. Six is huge. Okay. That's, oh that's yeah. Fun. That's, that's massive. I think that this is usually two or three people. Um, and most often when I've seen these decisions kind of being made that are career altering, um, they're often made by the individual. And then the individual informs the people that they're chatting with. And then it's, you know, like the, they're, they're insiders. And then it's kind of up to the insiders to either accept that verdict or try to change the verdict. And I know mm. that I have, I have talked one of my clients out of leaving the field, um, to try and survive, you know, to, to stay in a game, uh, rather than trying to leave. And that, you know, I think that that's kind of more like, it is more likely that the well, there's two, right? Like if a person's made their decision on their own, there's only two choices that the strategist or the the close counsel has, and that is to either you know convince them to stay or convince them to go, uh-huh. like to to change their mind in some fashion, um, if you need to. And uh, you know, I think that we've all seen some bullheadedness from politicians who just say, "I've done nothing wrong." Um, yeah, Alison Redford was much in that kind of vein. She, she very strongly believed that compared to Ralph Klein, she behaved very, very well. And I, I, you know, wouldn't really hear, well, (laughs) you're not against Ralph Klein now, right? Ralph Klein wouldn't survive in this era either. Um, but you know, she was very perplexed by this double standard that we have as a society, which I, I agree. We have a double standard as society. However, you know, we also change our standards as time moves forward. But, you know, these, these decisions are often made by the individuals and then their, then their staff tries to convince them otherwise um, or agrees with them. Because keep in mind, the staff also uh, are on the cutting block, right? As soon as your principal decides to leave, you're leaving too. You're I, I want to get into that. I want to yeah. get into that. Or even if there's like a conflict of interest there when you're trying to persuade someone to stay because totally. your gig is on the lines. So, but I'll get to that. Corey, you, you wanted to ch- chime in on something. So the, the question is really the broad strokes of what you may have seen or observed around how these career altering and in this case, career ending uh, conversations might be had structurally or even mechanically. Yeah, I've I've seen a few versions of it. I will say right off the bat, and the reason I was kind of flailing my arms is I have seen the six or eight. I've seen more than that, mm. and often with something as you severe, that, I shouldn't say severe, something yeah, as like ending sure, and altering as this. Yeah, really. And often it's in the in a situation where um, the you know the principal wants to do one thing, and the advisors all recommend a different thing, and so. They just keep casting the net wider and wider, trying to find that voice that will agree with them. And then ultimately, there's that one voice that gets dragged in in front of all of the other voices. And, you know, that's how the conversation gets built out. And so uh, because you got to keep in mind that just like everybody else everywhere, think about your boss, think about jobs you've had, think about conversations you've had with friends. There's a certain shopping that occurs. They you know, they know what they want to do, and they want somebody to validate yeah, that that sure. is the right course of action. And if they can't find it, that group can get pretty big. I guess is the point that I would. Corey, make. how many times? And Carter, this is a question to both of you. How many times have you seen? And some folks might hate the fact that I'm going so deep into this, but um, they can fuck off. I'm back, um, yeah. and this is what we're going to do. <laughs> uh, Carter, how many times? What I find interesting is dynamics here, right? 
there's power dynamics. Look, so so like let's peel this back, right? There's clearly power dynamics in this in this uh, Tory situation with him and the staffer, right? And when we talked, you know, yeah. Corey, you you give a hat tip to this, and I know other outlets and podcasts are talking about the the ongoing nature of consent, the power dynamics. You know, we're focusing on on using this as a as a strategy conversation, but the power dynamics between the principal and the staff, and then what I think is really interesting, and I'm curious if either of you seen this. If the principal, in this case, the the elected individual brings in outside advisors, the best friend, <laughs> for example. Oh, yeah. The, the non, yep. the, the uh, yes. this person is the fucking yes. shit. Of, don't <laughs> fuck with them. They are the best friend. They bring them in, to Corey's point, as the validation to, to the decision or as well. Talk to me about the dynamics here because I find that really interesting because who at the end of the day holds the power? The people with core political skills that have been slaving away? For 80 hours a week or the best friend that they talk to every weekend and go running you know, with sort of thing or have coffee. Yeah, with. Zane, this is like – this is this is so much bigger than career ending. This happens all the fucking talk time to me about in politics. It. Talk to me about it. Yeah. Well, David Axelrod talked about it during the Obama campaign. You know, they, they had this strategy where they were going to roll into certain caucus states and that was going to build the momentum yeah. that was going to yeah. get them to the, the later contest. And that's how they were going to beat Hillary Clinton in the 2008 primary season for the Democrats. Yeah. yeah. And uh, didn't they? They weren't getting their name out there as big as a result because they were focusing on very local contests yeah. and they were trying to create buzz amongst caucus goers, not the public as a whole. And there were friends of Barack Obama who were losing their mind, and Barack Obama would bring them to these people. And and you know, in that particular situation, the political staff that uh, Barack Obama went up with, they won the day. Yeah. But this happens all the time. Yeah. You got to keep in mind that politicians are not robots that only talk to their staff. They talk to their spouses. They talk to their friends. Oh, yeah. They talk to their, you know, the, the people that used to be on their staff. And um, everybody has different opinions in this game. It's a 60-40 business. Even if you're right more than you're wrong, you're still going to be wrong sometimes. And everybody knows it. And so everything gets put into doubt. And ultimately, at the end of the day... It's the principal who decides. It, it's up to them. And so this shopping occurs perpetually because quite often it's a way to get around what is supposed to be the arrangement, right? Imagine Stephen's working for me. Imagine I'm a candidate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. an arrangement. And Stephen gives me some great advice. Stephen says, Corey, you got to step down after that scandal, mm-hmm. right? Well, this is supposed to be the deal. He's supposed to be my principal strategist. I'm supposed to listen to him. And rather than me overriding my principal strategist, and maybe that's an extreme example because that's such a personal one, of course, it would be my decision at the end of the day. Let's make an easier one. You've got to do this television show. I don't want to do that television show. Well, I'm not going to override him. I'm going to say, yeah, Stephen, I think you should talk to a few other of my friends here, have contrary views, really smart people, really understand television. Let's bring them into the conversation Uh too. Uh It's really me making that decision because as the principal, I get to set the table and determine what's there. And I guarantee you, Stephen, you've been in this situation. I know I've been in this situation. And at a certain point, you throw up your hands because you know... No matter how often you win the argument, there's always going to be somebody else brought forward and another counter argument. And you just go, fuck it. Okay, do it if you want. Clearly, you're not listening to me at this moment. Yeah. Is, yeah. And then Carter, fuck, I can go so many directions. In your experience, let me actually ask you a follow up to Corey's and I'll go back to the main question. I haven't lost the plot. And if I have, like I said, I mean, I have. uh, I have no idea where we are. Fuck this, people. Fuck fuck this. Okay. What do you think Annalise is doing right now? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, she's she's flying. uh, Probably doing a better version of the show in a parallel universe. That's for sure. She probably stopped listening 10 minutes ago. Hey, Carter. When 
a politician hasn't listened to you, has that been temporal or has that been a sign of a deteriorating relationship? Oh, as soon as you start to see it, you you can start counting the days. I mean, because Corey almost describes it as being temporal here. Like that's what I think is really. Interesting. I think it can be temporal. Yeah. I think it can absolutely be temporal. Carter, has it been for you, Carter? Like, well, no, I, I it hasn't to, like, been put for your me. Res- no, I mean, you are basically describing. Thinking about my career and your career, all of a yeah, sudden. I mean, all you are describing things are coming into shape. You're, you're for describing both of what us you know, like, think, I'm breaking out in hives here. Things are kind of like holy shit. No principles and no spine. He's like, oh, okay, you don't listen to me right now. That's fine. Also, no, that's, that's okay. It's not even that, right? It's not even that. I remember Allison listening. And so Allison would listen to this, uh, her EA, right? 27-year-old kid. Um, didn't know his head from his ass because he was young and, and he was still learning and, and arguably just not there yet. And um, But she spent all, his time, all her time with him. And she really liked him, really liked him. And so she'd listen to whatever he said. And he would say things like, they don't understand you. They don't, you know, they don't listen to you. They don't have your best interest at heart. And That's this, and, yeah. and I became they. And and you can't be they <laughs> and be a close advisor. Um, but but is it, isn't that interesting, though? To that point, it kind of goes back to my point of conflict of interest. When you are trying to persuade someone, to, in this case, let's say, go back to the John Tory situation. You're trying to persuade John not to leave because, you're I don't know, your fucking $200 chief of staff gig or your comms gig is tied to him being the mayor of the city still. Like, how do you deal with that that conflict? And, and, and like, can you actually be an honest arbiter to, to the point that the friend would make that's saying these people are and- these people are just here to collect your paycheck? Every single person is sucking at the teat of power. Every single person is, whether it's the friend or it's, it's, a, you know, it's, you know, everybody wants something from the person and the person who really should want the least is your principal advisors, whether it's your principal secretary, your, um, you, you know, your ex-husband, your whatever it may be, that, that person should be the person who says, I don't want anything from you. I ha- yes, I have a job and I am serving you, but I, if this job were to end tomorrow, I'm fine. I'll find something else. That should be the relationship. Mm. Um, is it the relationship? Of course not, right? Like every chief of staff rises and falls with his, uh, with his, his, uh, princip- his or her principal. But this is a, you know, when you're talking about this group of people who are going around, Corey's nailed so many things, right? So many mm. things. Like the... The I'm going to just ask one more person until I find the response that I want is hilarious. I mean, I've I've seen that. I actually know who you're talking about. This is fantastic. <laughs> um, Corey and I continue to be able to communicate using ASP and and hand signals. Yeah, we know exactly. To who be clear, I have no idea who you're talking about. I know, which is fine, which is great. That's and good. we're never mentioning who it is. But you know, and I've also been the the person who's been brought in as the outside expert. Right. I'm going to just call. I'm going to call Carter. You've been the validator. I'm going to You've call Carter validator? and yeah. see what he has to say. And then I will come in and I'll say, you know, I'll have two conversations. I'll have a conversation with the principal and a conversation with the staffer and try and figure out what's the best course of action is. Um, because oftentimes, yeah, self-interest is really hard, but self-interest also exists within the politician. Self-interest is always going to be there. Everybody you're talking to is going to be interested in some fashion. And, you know, what, when I'm running a campaign, people try and undermine me. When I'm running, a, when, when, I got sta- when you become staff, people try and undermine you because everybody wants to be one step closer to the candidate. One step closer means closer to power. And these types of uh, difficult to navigate things are where 
power is won and lost in in political campaigns. It's it's an amazing thing. I I didn't think we'd go here today, but this is really cool. Well, I guess part of it, the reason I'm interested is because of the human dynamics of it, mm-hmm. right? Like this is much of a, a being political staff and good, competent, skilled political staff is not just having a whip smart brain. But having good people skills, knowing how to, you know, know which battle you're going to lose to the best friend or the sister or the yeah. cousin and, and which ones you want to fight for. And, and I guess the, the, I'll round this out and then I'll kind of zoom back out uh, to, to a broader to the broader political questions. Any like lessons or how have you seen it deftly handled, Corey, around the best friend? I'm going to call it the best friend just to like make a short the outside advisor. Right. How have you seen sure. it like well handled? What are some like things you've learned along the way? Uh, around how to navigate some of these big decisions that might ultimately to the or the, the bulk of this conversation fall on the feet of the elected individual, but you can actually uh, contour in, in a direction that's both strategic and tries to get your point across as well. Tell me about what you've seen. Yeah, well, first and foremost, you can't die on every hill. You get to die on one hill. You can talk about being willing to die on lots of hills, but you can only actually die on one. So you've got to decide at what point you're willing to cede the argument. And the other thing you need to do and closely tied to that is you need to know who you're arguing with. Are you actually arguing with the best friend or is it, as I was sort of describing, a proxy and you're arguing with your boss? And if you're arguing with your boss, you you know, maybe you let go at a certain moment, just being acknowledging of that dynamic. Now, it's tough. I mean, I'll just say right now, Carter, you... I, I worked for you at one point. You're a tenacious son of a bitch. You don't want to give up your opinion all of the time. And um, you make it sound uh, like a I'm bad the same thing. way, you know, like, well, I'm the same way yeah. sometimes, but the difference between me and you, it's the word sometimes I will, <laughs> the word sometimes. I will ultimately be like, okay, fine. That's, that's the relationship right now. You're not that guy, right? Uh, you, you are, you are a force of will. And so I think one of the fun subtexts for me in this conversation is like, you know, hey, man, you've died on a few hills. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've lived a few lives and died on a few hills. Uh, speaking of yeah. which, uh, this segment, of course, bl- uh, brought to us by Flair Airlines. Flair Airlines begging to be shot down. Uh, Carter, uh, that was a balloon joke. Uh, <laughs> not not our sp- <laughs> That was a balloon joke that I thought was a timely fit. Can we zoom out for a second? Um, hey, Carter, this is actually a perfect question for you. Toronto has a vacancy for mayor and they're going to elect one in what, like two months. I don't have the details in front of me, but they're going to elect one in like really really quick. Okay. So what are you doing right now? Actually, before I ask you, what are you doing from the, from the Calgary perspective? What I mean by that is looking very far away into Toronto. What would your dream candidate be right now? Knowing that this scandal has happened, knowing the makeup broadly of Toronto, like your dream candidate in a composite way, Talk to me about what that would look like. Uh, young, old, male, female. Talk to me about like I'm kind of curious what you feel like the profile of someone that you feel like boom, this is the person I could get elected tomorrow remotely. Like that's the like when I say remotely, I mean like sitting in Calgary, I could get this person elected because it's just undeniable that this is what Toronto needs right now. I'm curious if you have a read or a beat on the situation uh, based on your observations. I think it would be a woman. I think it would be a woman in in her. Uh, late 40s, early 50s, someone who um, uh, maybe has been there before would be ideal, but that's not necessarily a prerequisite. Um, and has a microphone, has the ability to stand in front of, in front of a microphone and be heard. Um, and, and that was kind of like Chris, oh, I'll jump over to Christy Clark, not because 
she's running for the mayor of Toronto. But when we when when the leadership happened for in the BC Liberal Party, um, she'd been on the media. She'd been in the media. She'd been seen. Um, she'd uh, she was there to to kind of jump into the race and immediately become a, f- a factor. I still think that that women are um, more likely to win elections right now than men. Um, and I think that that uh, lends itself to someone, especially in Toronto. I don't think they've had, have they had a female mayor? Corey, I can't, off the top of my head, I don't I think, think so. I can't think, I of think so. I know, um, I know someone like Jennifer Keysmat was, was close. So I don't actually know how close, but I know she was competitive. Jennifer Keysmat would be an interesting example, right off the top. She's yeah. someone who's been yeah. there before. She can, she maintains a public persona. She is, uh, you know, she's well known. She's easy to like and dislike. Uh, let's not pretend that, you know, everybody who gets elected is universally liked. Um, but I wouldn't want to be starting with someone from scratch, like the the Joti Gondek campaign, you know, like two percent voter intention uh, with with nine months to go isn't a, isn't a viable option because you can't you don't have enough time to establish um, name recognition. This would be the perfect campaign well, for is, the Barb Higgins equivalent. Barb Higgins was our to... TV personality who jumped in. Right. That would be perfect. Corey, this seems to be, uh, you know, as we study campaigns, this seems to be a pure name recognition style campaign, perhaps low engagement, uh, short timeline. If we don't know you, we don't know you. Is that wrong? Or is there is there enough time, even if this is let's just put a 90 or 100 day cap on it, Hogan, for a unknown to become mayor of Toronto by June? I'm just gonna throw out an arbitrary month for you. Yeah, I don't know if there's time for June. By the way, I looked it up. Toronto, the city as we know it today, has only existed since the late 90s. But there were two pre-amalgamation mayors of Metro Toronto who were women, June Rollins and Barbara Hall. So let's give them their due. Mm-hmm. Um, the There's just not enough time to come out of nowhere because it's not just that you have to build a profile from nowhere, but you've got to build a team. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to have to be somebody who understands politics enough to to get that poll put together and unless somebody is going to be picked um you know randomly by some super organizer and made into a host household name i, I just there's just not enough time is, is that a thing though is it carter is that a false promise that a super organizer a super super cam because we've heard this sales pitch quite often right that there's a there's a vacuum or there's a hole and someone can just go from zero to hero in, in 90 days i just want to just test that out for a second is that a real offering that you can turn to someone and be like, I could get you there in 90 days. I, I don't think, I, I don't think I could. I don't believe that there mm. are any consultants in Canada who could do that. Um, and it's because of the money. Uh, you can't budget, just, right? Yeah. You can't just drop unlimited amounts of your own funds in, uh, and just do this. Um, maybe you could do that in the States, but in the States, you're probably going to go up against someone who's got the same type of money that you've got. So, in Canada, I just don't see how it would be done. I don't know what the steps would be to take an unknown in a three-month period and turn them into a mayor. Um, it looked like Nenshi came out of the woodwork. It looked like he did this all in three months. And I, mm-hmm. I always chuckled, you know, Davison was going to run the Nenshi campaign. And how many people do we know that are going to run the Nenshi campaign? Well, it was it was months and months of slogging. I mean, we put Nahed Nenshi into every coffee party that we could have some as small as two or three people and he went to them all and uh, that building is what gave him the ability to win at the end and and there's no time to build so i just don't think that the 
I don't think that that's available. Corey, I interrupted you there. You're talking about the, the super organizer, about the, the runway and the, and the timeline here. Maybe I'll kind of tag on a question for you, which is if you were wanting to run right now, you know, we're, we're kind of using this as an exercise. What are the, the couple of things? Knowing this can be a short runway election, what are the things you want to do right away? Like give them one, two, and three on that list. Uh, well, you're just going to need to make a ton of calls, try to at least get people to think, oh, that'd be interesting if they come in to keep them on the the fence. Everybody's going to have such a sense of urgency. Like we got to go now. If this is going to happen, we got to start organizing now. And so that's important for you, but it's important even if you're just thinking about it to to make your intentions of, of just consideration known in order to keep them off of other teams because th- this is going to drive everybody, the, the urgency that's there. The other thing is because it's such a short race, you sort of know what the issues are going to be. It's whatever's in the newspaper today. Mm. You can be talking about crime and cleanliness. You can be talking about the super mayor powers that Doug Ford has brought in at this point and and that's an opportunity for you. That's also a risk for you. But I um, I suspect you're going to hear a ton about the TTC and safety on the TTC. You're going to hear a ton about housing, you know, correct. trees outside of Osgood Hall. Yes. You're going to hear a ton about uh, housing, to your point. And, um, and that's an interesting campaign because in some ways it means you've got to mold yourself to the issues because I, I don't know. I mean, three months is not no time, so maybe I'm exaggerating, but it's going to be tough for you to shape it especially with so much of the conversation being around John Tory and his resignation to begin with. And so you're going to have to somehow, you're going to have to pick the things and you're almost going to have to take off the shelf, which is not how I would normally recommend you run a campaign. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and Carter, I'm going to ask you that same question and tag on the point Corey made, which is, is it inevitable that this next race is a referendum on Tory or no? Is Is that actually totally... And that's not what you said, Corey, to be totally clear. I'm just kind of... Yeah, I don't think... Yeah, and I'm extrapolating from that, to be clear. Like, is it... But is it inevitable that Tory's part of the conversation? I guess that's that's the point, Carter. I think that... And then your same question. What what advice would you give to your composite candidate that that you'd ideally run? Well, this... I I was listening to what Corey's saying, and and he was talking about this idea that... um, the issues are going to be set. Well, this is one of the reasons you're going to want someone who comes from a background because that person will bring their issues with them, right? Uh, mm. Jennifer Kismat has talked, for example, about all the different ways that they can build and develop in, in, in Toronto, what they should be building as a city type of format. That would come with her because she'd spent months and months and years and years building that brand persona for herself. So if you're an existing politician, you're going to be able to bring some issues with you. But Corey's absolutely right. Outside of that, the issues are going to be set by someone else. Now, is that a referendum on John Tory? No, but integrity and trust may jump back in a little bit more because, again, you know, back-to-back mayors ending in scandal um, in Toronto. Is there such a thing as an ethical politician anymore? Um, Maybe an overlying theme that defines the election a little bit. Um you know, I mean, I suspect most people would answer with, no, we don't expect there to be any more ethical politicians and may look and be more accepting of a little bit more of the deviant, uh, the deviants, which is something that if you're going to campaign, uh, I agree with Corey as well. Getting yourself out there as soon as possible um, would be super important. Corey, can we can we boomerang back to John Tory? He's sticking around until this no. budget. Is that a good mm-hmm. idea? Like he comes out on Friday saying like, fuck this. No, he doesn't say fuck this. I'm done. He says it, you know, whatever you think of his apology. Um, you know, I've done this gross thing, which he has. 
I'm leaving. And then now he's, his office says, well, he's not leaving until uh, this budget is debated and this important budget is, is you know, inherently passed. What do you kind of think of that in terms of like, does he, to the point of brand preservation, um, kind of take a chip off of that a bit or, or kind of sand it down? No, I look, I mean, maybe a little bit. Sure. I, how could I say otherwise? But I, I don't know if this was his plan. Like, I don't think he said, I'm going to go hard with resignation and then fill in the details. Oh, by the way, I'm here for the budget next week. Mm-hmm. Don't know if that was his plan. Uh, I think in some ways it was probably a let's see where this goes conversation uh, that that what they were having there. But it's not a bad strategy because mm, what do really? you do? The guy's already in. I think so. Like he's already said he's going to resign. And so um, in, instead of like you, you are starting also to think about legacy in some small ways and you want to control this final budget. You don't want your legacy to be entirely about the scandal. So if the last thing people remember about you is not so much your resignation of the scandal, but you fighting over the budget, I don't hate that for John Tory. If I'm helping him try to rebuild his legacy, he gets to talk about his issues. And the other thing I would say is, um, if he had almost done it in reverse, or if he'd said that night, like I will resign after the budget, people would say, no, resign. Yeah, now. Okay, I can, can I but by now? saying I will resign. And then four days later, after the dust has settled a bit and it's entirely in the public consciousness that he's resigning four days, fuck, it hasn't even been yeah, four days. Yeah. It's been three as we record, yeah. but even just letting the dust settle over the weekend, um, you know, it just, it, it hits different now. It, you know, if, if it had at the moment, he had said, I'm sticking around for the budget, it would have been a different conversation than even just giving it that 48 hours. That's a smart point. So not bad. That's a smart point by Corey Carter. The, is there a chance that whether it's strategic or by accident, uh, that the last thing people talk about John Tory will be his budget versus the scandal? Or is that wishful thinking? Like, I, I understand what Corey's saying. It'll color it a bit. It won't, like, dominate. It won't be the, the headline. But I get the, the point. Do you think it's also a good strategy? And could it work, Carter? I think that this is probably the right strategy. I mean, you, you've got to get the budget passed. Um, it would, you know, you could make a chaos argument that if, if, if he were to leave now without the budget in place, there'd be too much jockeying. There'd be too much back and forth. Uh, the city of Toronto wouldn't be served. I think you could easily make that case. And, um, this, again, it doesn't look premeditated. It doesn't look like he said, well, let's just get me through this, this budget. And then I'll, then I'll leave. It looks like he, you know, he thought, well, I guess, I guess when is a good time for me to leave, uh, before or after the budget, probably after the budget, after the budget makes the most sense. And I think it's going to read that way. Cause, uh, you know, that's where, that's the way it, it seems to be unfolding is that this is probably the best decision, uh, for, um, for Toronto and for its uh, budgeting process. Carter, final question here, and I'm going to stick on the Tory specifics here. Let's go back to advising John Tory. Sure. So you, 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 and let's go to advising John Tory in the future. Not to say, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying John Tory deserves another chapter, right? I'm not saying, you know, no. based on what he's done, but we've seen people have other chapters, right? So let's just face that head on. Then the reality, people do shitty, gross things and have staying power, whether it's in this job or in the future. What advice would would one give? I'm not going to make you do it, but what advice would one give to, to John Tory as it relates except, to except the you're future, making me right? Do like it. that's good. Yeah, well, I am making you do it because there's only two of you um, yeah. on this show. But let's look at the, the the principles of brand preservation, right? As we discussed with Corey earlier, to kind of preserve that brand, to maybe let's say maybe the loose guidance, dear Carter, is 
what do I need to do so that I can come back in a couple of years? It doesn't have to be elected office, but Carter, I like the public eye. I like being on a talk show. Maybe they'll invite me to a panel. Maybe they'll, maybe I can have the Patrick Brown arc in some ways. Um, you know, sans the, the, the elected office. If that's the loose sort of like, this is what I want to do. What are some of the things you'd be, you'd be telling someone like, like John Tory in, 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 in the immediate future, Carter? Help, help as many people as you can. Um, be as graceful and as gracious as you can uh, going through all of this. Make sure that people know that you and your darkest hour and most difficult hour were more interested in helping others and helping yourself. Um, you still have a tremendous amount of power until such time as you leave. So make sure that when you're passing this budget, you're focused on how you're going to help the individual person in Toronto. If you're... Um, you know, you're helping counselors, you're you're meeting with people, talking about the job, you're helping the media, you're giving the media every opportunity that they need. Um, you're just trying to be classy all the way out. Um, you don't want to have petulance and small-mindedness. You don't want to be like, well, fuck those guys who broke this story at the star. I'm never speaking to them again. Th- mm-hmm. That's like the worst thing that you can do. Be Be I'm- the biggest man you can possibly be. Carter, I'm going to follow up on this, maybe push back a bit. Classy means exposure. It means still hogging some daylight, sucking up some oxygen. Not necessarily. Is that a good strategy? Is that good Not necessarily. The, the classy could be, I'm on my way out. I'm going to ask you to speak to my deputy mayor from now on. Classy could be, I want to make sure that... Um, huh. You know, that the, these other people get the attention. Classy could be that he doesn't, he never offers input into the budget. Instead, what he does is he just simply moderates the debate. Um, you know, I'm not here as the mayor for the long time. I'm just here as the mayor to moderate the debate around this budget to ensure that it gets done for the people of Toronto. I have no, I have resigned. I have no input into it. I am simply managing the process. That could be classy. Classy does not mean standing up in front of the media and doing press conference after press conference. Classy means evaluating what opportunities, you know, what exists in the the here and now and doing the best possible, most um, upstanding thing that you can. Corey, your, your, your words of wisdom, if I can call them that for, for John Tory with the loose definition of, of, you know, preserving some sort of brand going forward, preserving some sort of public facing side going forward yeah i mean come on he's 68 he was leader of the ontario pcs he's not getting a job like that again yes he was mayor of toronto he's not getting a job like that again his next act as he has one is is if he has one is that gray-haired guy who's brought in to be on like every bloody government royal commission or panel or committee a year and a half two years from now when people have kind of decided what this is if they've decided it's something they can live yeah. with he'll be like doug ford's housing czar to fix affordability or he'll chair a commission on the green belt for mike schreiner yeah. you know cleaning up the pieces <laughs> after all of this shit but like it's he's not it's not elected i hear you i hear you i hear you. it's public facing maybe not publicly elected to be totally clear but yeah. but Corey, to all of those roles hypothetical and otherwise it's not a it's not a guarantee that his trajectory means that he's going to get those roles, even with time passing by. Uh, the question yeah, I have no, is like, what, what does he need to do to, to be able to be viable for that future? I I think Carter's right. Mm. How you leave matters. Yeah. You know, how does it matter how a man dies? Well, when it's all that left, it matters a great yeah. deal, right? 
it matters a great deal. He's got to, on his way out, not be petulant, not blame other people for his own failings. He's He's got to treat everybody kind of with like kind of deference and cordiality and, you know, not start fighting with the star for ruining his life because they didn't ruin his life. He ruined yeah. his mm. life. Right. And he's just got to take that attitude as he moves forward through. I We're going to leave that, that not arguing yeah, over the budget is, is actually what I would recommend that he do. Just you mean you, yes, moderate like, oh, the, be, debate. Be the moderator yeah. of the budget. I dis I disagree with that. I think he actually should lean in on the budget some, but I I think that some of his opponents look a bit ridiculous saying it's undemocratic that he would be involved in the yeah. budget. Yeah, I mean, he was just reelected. That's just the most foolish thing. It's more democratic if anybody else is involved. No, we're going to leave that segment there. Move it on to our final segment. Our over under and our lightning round. Corey wow, Hogan, one and done. This is one and done. We've school. got some media. We got we, we got media, back, media topics to cover. Okay, <laughs> and we'll see how long this takes. It could take another five minutes, and I could be out of here. Um, back up in my balloon, Stephen Carter. Are you in or are you out on the provinces collectively agreeing to all that cash to be ex- exact forty six point two billion dollars in additional funds over the next decade from the feds on health care? Are you in around the provinces? Not delaying, not dithering, saying, yeah, let's just fucking do it, whatever, guys. Well, I'm in because I think that, you know, you're going to be pounding on the drum again in four years anyway. So you may as well Mm. take what you can get now. There's not ever been a health deal where... The, you know, the, the premiers have even waited for the for the deal to get cold. You know, the, the ink has barely dried when they start banging on the drum for something new. So take it. Oh, for crying out loud. Yeah, and go, and you in? go for it later. Corey, are you in yeah, or I you mean, are? Like, what, there what, was subtext. Yeah, there was, there was subtext there that they weren't going to be, like, accepting it for the long term in the conversation. Here's the thing. What does out even look like? You know, this. I almost think in some ways this is such a manufactured media event that the premier is like, hmm, yes, we will take their well, money. Well, I, I, you know? I guess the out could look like. Let me throw an example that it is Lay it, throw that it's not that it's not collective. That there was a a prairie populist fuck you guys um, holdout group. Okay, right. So the, I'm, so I'm throwing out an example. Money? So I'm, we don't get money. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. asking you though. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Like. Like, it's not a negotiation in a funny way. It's the feds are saying, this is the money. These are the strings. Do you want it? And like, if they're like, no, what's what's their, you know, in any negotiation, we talk about walk away positions, right? Like, what's your walk away position? What's your, uh, you know, uh, best alternative to a negotiated settlement, right? These, These are things we talk about here. What do you get? Like, of course you're going to accept it, you know, and you're, and you're going to continue to do exactly what Steven said, which is you'll immediately complain and ask for more. But there's no way to say no to this. It's a lot of money and it's money that they want. Uh, Carter, did you just notice Corey did some NBA BATNA? In no, no, it's fantastic. Just so you know. Yeah. Just so you know not, that. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember my negotiations Michael, class too. Michael Scott okay? uh, uh, School yeah. of Negotiations. Yeah. Number one, change the location. It's yeah. a deep cut for the office. Um <laughs> Corey, with that, that with, with that being said, with that being said, yeah. on a scale of one to ten, the masterstroke for the liberals here—a one and done, like offer done over. Um, do you feel like this was a masterclass on their part, or, or am, I, am I wildly overrating it on your part? Where do you kind of land with how the liberals played this, uh, with perhaps the benefit of of seeing what happened today with the with the province? Oh, I think they played it pretty well, and you would know that if you actually listened to the podcast while yeah. you were off. I didn't even um, know you guys recorded. I know. Yeah. <laughs> the number jumping, I guess, to be fair, would not necessarily be a clue. I will give you that. Um, I, so I think they did pretty well. And I don't think today changes my view of that. I do think that there is still challenge down the road. 
um, because, um, you know, like it's interesting because there's opportunity for Daniel Smith. There's opportunity for Justin Trudeau. Uh, but all of that will come or not in the negotiations. Like what was today's announcement in principle, they agree to getting more money. That's part of why I'm saying like, what's the alternative? Yeah, sure. But the negotiation is yet to come. Like the negotiation is still coming. Carter, Carter well, scale of one to 10, what do you give the liberals for, for their healthcare negotiation tact and strategy? I think it, it's probably a six or seven, but you know, you, you give me a bucket load of money and I'll probably get some, uh, some pretty good outcomes as well. I mean, you, you drop a cool, almost $50 billion. You're going to do pretty well in negotiations with the premiers. So yeah, well say, done. You know, I just want to say like, and, and we said this last time again, which you would yeah, know. If you listen, if, if you I'm glad they're listening, we're analyzing. Yeah. She's going to be so angry, but did anyone listen? Just because just, just to be clear, did anyone? ratings were up. <laughs> We actually had more downloads. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, you're breaking my yeah. heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I, what I'm saying here is the liberals had did okay in this moment, but long term, this could be a problem for them. Like, there's no guarantee it's going to work out the way childcare did. They could be, uh, you know, some weird dynamics down yeah. the road. This is what I was highlighting last time. Where, for example, there's a deal with Quebec that includes certain permissions that then Alberta will say, "Why the well, fuck the, not us?" Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they, they, they real, are, real challenges with this one-off approach down the road. They, they are into the individual negotiations of the provinces, as you say, Corey. Um, Corey, I'm going to stick with you on the pure political strategy. Was Danielle Smith right to double down as she did on her radio show this week, where she defended her? controversial version of Canadian history uh, with Indigenous peoples uh, talking about how, you know, collectively they, they kind of built this sort of thing. And it was, it was, it was, you can watch it online. I, I, I'm not going to paraphrase yeah. it, but Danielle Smith puts out a video, really bastardizes Canadian history, gets called out for it, doubles down on her radio show and the pure politics of it. Was she right to do so, Corey? Yes or no? Well, here's the thing. She has a pretty bad habit of doubling down just before she apologizes. So I just don't think the chapter's written yet. Mm. Let's see where this goes. But I, I can tell you, um, it, this is one that's not going to be easily forgotten by, uh, you know, First Nations, Métis in in Alberta. So we'll see. Uh, Carter, same question to you. From the pure politics of it, and you know, what do you think of her doubling down on this? while having the opportunity to apologize. And in this case, the context here is that she was called out on a radio show by a listener and said, hey, can you apologize? And she said, nah, or no. the equivalent of that. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, First Nations being mad at you uh, in a political sense has very little impact. Um, first, The First Nations isn't an electoral issue. The First Nations is, an, is a moral issue. Um, so It's more than that. It's it's like a massive legal issue as well. well. Okay. Like, but it's not reality cost is with duty to consult in the electoral frame. So if she's trying to appeal to her, you know, right wing base, it's not necessarily a bad play to double down on it if that's where she wants to go. Oh boy, You're, I'm you being know, asked like, the political with, with question. The way duty to consult has evolved. You know, it's it's true, and and Zane, in your defense, Carter Zane did say I, I just did from say, the pure yeah, politics. I did of say it. it that way. Yeah, but yeah. I think it's very short term politics because even if I wanted to be an absolute fucking cynic about and it, an asshole about it, yeah, and an asshole about it, there is just too much that requires cooperation. Uh, with indigenous populations. I just, you know, especially in this province, especially with resource production. She's doubled down, tripled down on the the fuck you 
I mean, even the Sovereignty Act was a huge fuck you to the indigenous population. Huge. Yeah. And and she's just, I think that she's she's weighing the political challenges and has made the decision that this is this is at least the best way to go to get elected. And politically, it's hard to argue with that. There has not been an election that has ever shifted because of First Nations issues. Carter, we were talking about John Tory's exit. You guys left the previous segment on the fact that how you leave matters. Well, let's talk about it. Stephen Carter, in your memory, the best political exit. Who was Oh, the best political exit. Um, It could have been about the the rules and the principles you talked about. It could have been on the heels of scandal. It could have been on the, the just a perfect crescendo of timing. Hey, I'm done my my. It could have been like a British television show, eight episodes, and you want more. And where were they? And it's just a perfect crescendo you know, ending. Who was your Who was your ideal exit? I think that's a really because it could be many different ways you look this, at it. But who was your ideal perfect exit? Here's my Here's my answer, and and it's because his tenure was cut short because of illness, and that was John. It's recent. It's John Horgan. Because John Horgan left at the top of his game, he didn't lose an election. He was uh, he had rebuilt the the New Democratic Party of British Columbia in his own image, um, and I think that that gave him gives him a, a real legacy when he leaves. Unfortunately, we will never know if that was because of really smart planning on the part of John Horgan, or because John Horgan just simply got sick and had to make the right choices for him and his family. Um, of course, no one wishes that type of illness on on a politician, but a- as a result, I think that his exit, I mean, we certainly haven't seen a proper exit out of Alberta. Um, mm. And, you know, and we spent a ton of time on overstaying your welcome. I think we did a whole episode yeah. a couple of months ago on that, but I want to talk about the positives of it. Uh, John Horgan's an interesting take, a, a recent take, but I see why. There's a couple of like, you know, you, you, you mentioned correctly his his health issues, but never losing an election, calling an election at the right time takes a certain amount of skill, like reading oh, yeah. the room during that pandemic election. I thought uh, he was in real trouble, but he knew his people. He knew where he wanted to be. Upgrading his position mm-hmm. in that election. And then to your point, you know, really creating an, an NDP in British Columbia that appealed to uh, men, for example, in certain cases as, oh, as yeah. a demo, uh, and which has historically not not been the case, at least across the uh, you know uh, the, the 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 party uh, provincially elsewhere uh, or even federally. Corey, your best exit. You can give me any person, any rational, any reason, uh, but I'm curious to kind of use this as our as our final question to talk about exits matter and who had a great one in your mind. Well, the all-time great was George Washington, right? And his letter and his resignation. He did two terms. He talked about partisan infighting. He set up so many of the norms. Like, Americans are so used to presidents only being able to run two terms. That was only a convention Mm. until, like, the the 50s. And it was brought in as a, a, like, constitutional amendment after FDR decided to run for four. Mm -hmm. Because nobody had done that before. Everybody followed George Washington's example. And so... You know, between it setting that norm and the fact that he could have been the king of the United States, but he decided to walk away and be kind of the modern day Cincinnatus and, and create this American Republic was just f- fucking incredible. Um, lots of problematic things in that man's life, owning people at the top mm-hmm, of the fucking mm-hmm. list. But that particular thing was, um, you know, quite a masterstroke, uh, you know, resigning when he did the way he did. In the Canadian context, 
there's only one answer. You know, is there I, only I one respect, answer? I'm really yeah, curious. I respect and appreciate Horgan's, you know, uh, exit, but it's, it's Trudeau. Man, it's Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Which time? He's the only one we still... Which time? Well, the walk in the snow. Yeah. February 28th, 1984. How many other prime ministers can you remember their rationale for resigning, how they resigned? And that was that was 40 years ago. Corey, can you, you remind know? those people that use the term walk in the snow but have no idea to the historical context of it? What exactly was the walk in the snow? Why is that date, you know, you know so, so... Um, tattooed in your memory talk, talk to me about what exactly he did that made it like the goat exit in your mind well he basically just he he said he wasn't gonna run again he held a conference and said it and they said why he's like well you know i had a good day yesterday i went for a walk in the snow you know and i decided i you know and, and what made it so interesting we forget this because like the exit and the walk in the snow becoming the metaphor for deciding to leave canadian political life yes, yes like we use it all metaphor. the time we use it all the fucking we use time. it all the time yeah. we forget that what made it so bloody poetic was that in his autobiography when he talked about getting into politics when he decided whether he was going to run for the liberal leadership in 1968 he he made a big deal about how he went for a walk in the snow to think about his future at that moment so he bookended mm. like his ascent and his descent with this walk in a snow metaphor and so it became it became the th like there's no other answer i'm sorry i mean like the fact Trude that we still remember it and it's taken on this thing beyond forty years later, it's it's easily got to be. Was someone I thought of. I, he was someone I thought of, and I rejected because he left twice. Uh, but uh, otherwise, yes, he did. Otherwise, yeah, I mean that makes that that's he's he certainly stands up as the the person that we look to and who has defined it. So I it's hard to argue with Corey on it, but I uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least try to argue with Corey. He did MJ it. He came back to play for the Wizards for a bit, as yeah. uh, as Pierre was was used to. <laughs> well, and that's why. Uh, I mean, he, he gave Wizards. he gave us the Constitution. Yeah. during that MJ Wizards period, though, you know, like, Carter MJ, you know, I think averaged twenty points during the Wizards era. It was pretty yeah, pretty impressive. Don't sleep on MJ in the Wizards, yeah. Uh, Carter, who <laughs> which NBA player was famous for the skyhook? Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who just lost oh, out so, on the scoring. So I'm so proud of you. Hey, better Very basketball good. player or better columnist, Jabbar? What do you think? Um. I prefer Wilt Chamberlain as my columnists. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I appreciate. I I get that. No Lots one else. Will. It is good to be back. That is a wrap on episode ten thirty six of the Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we will see you next time. Do you think Annalise is free? Oh, we should. We should give her a call.